this dude on Jeopardy's name really Sam Blum? I'm sorry, what? CapsCorner.com podcast, CapsCorner.com, your source for game sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the place where Franklin State's in the west end of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, February the 16th. Virginia obviously coming off of a uh, a disappointing loss in Blacksburg Monday evening um, to Virginia Tech, 62-53. Cavaliers did not hit a single three-pointer on the evening, 0 of 9 from uh, from long distance and I mean you can't really say that that's the reason that the, the Cavaliers lost but you certainly can say it's among the the reasons it probably would have helped if um, Kevin Aluma hadn't been 10 to 14 and um, Tech had not you know sort of been able to sort of keep UVA at arm's length um, shooting is is obviously going to be a problem for this team has been a problem for this team no doubt will continue to be um, but as as one of my wayward co-hosts joked before we started to record i mean they almost beat duke with two threes so um or excuse me they did beat duke they did i completely <laughs> messed that up anyway let's go around and introduce everybody before we get one. started <laughs> this <laughs> in fishersville david spence is on the show how's it going my friend going pretty good Mon- uh, monday is start of spring high school spring tryout spring sport tryout big tom need some equipment i know a guy who days on the board at who days on twitter <laughs> <laughs> just one or the whole the whole yeah. entire establishment just the one no guy shame. No shame. Uh, I know. Uh, up and loud and staff writer Justin Ferber's also on the program. How's it going, my dude? It's going. Um, I don't have any bats to sell or anything, but I am looking forward to some warmer weather, getting back <laughs> outside, actually like caring about a spring football game. It should be fun. At Justin underscore Ferber on Twitter. Cavs Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, the content items, and the occasional Woody Banter. Um you said spring game and I thought to myself like are they actually going to play a game but I guess we'll have to wait and see how that cookie crumbles we have plenty of time to discuss football related items um, some of which when I say plenty of time I mean later in the show we are going to touch quickly though on the basketball program and sort of where things are Cavaliers got a 63-53 win over Georgia Tech on Saturday um, certainly wasn't the best looking game um, Jaden Gardner was ha- was look you know pretty good uh 26 points on 10 to 19 from the floor six to six is the stripe but it kind of just left a lot to be desired and didn't really give you a lot of confidence as virginia went down to blacksburg um i i i think that if you look at what reese beekman did to hunter couture um who ended up one of five from the floor one of four from deep he has three points it just wasn't the kind of night from three that that virginia tech has had of late they were five of 20 for 25 percent but UVA, obviously, aforementioned 0 for 9. Uh, Cavaliers also, I mean, it's funny. For a long time in this game, Tech didn't have but like one turnover. Um, you know, this was a this was a pretty, you know, in some ways, um, you know, Virginia showed a lot of heart and certainly didn't give up late when it looked like things were, were not going to go their way. Um, and then Tech just kind of put, the, um, put the pedal down and stretched it out. 
once they got time to to start fouling. I, I don't think for me, and you guys can chime in here. Um, oh, before I forget, Damon not with us this evening. Um, other, yeah, I was literally waiting to bring it up and be like, we Sorry. care about you. Sorry. Sorry, Damon. Uh, Damon not with us this evening. <laughs> he had the prior engagement, so we will we will catch him next week. Um, but I, I, it's funny. It's like that's a game. That game is a, such a microcosm of Virginia's issues, right? Um, offensively, when they got the ball inside, things were great, right? Shedrick scores eleven. Gardner had seventeen. Um, hell, he almost had a he almost had a uh, double double in the first half. He ends up with seventeen and fourteen. Um, but everybody else really struggled, especially Kihei Clark. Probably one of his worst games as, as a Wahoo. He's one and nine from the floor, oh five from deep. Um, he had two turnovers against two assists. Um, had four fouls. You know, it, it just wasn't the kind of performance you're used to seeing from him in, a, in that kind of setting. He usually thrives in those games where the crowd is on him and, and that kind of thing. This this wasn't his night. Um, ultimately, though, I think it kind of just showed you kind of we, – we talked last week about this Virginia team and sort of what could be, but then this is the flip side of that. This is also the thing that could be, and more often than not this season it has been. Um, Dave, as you watch this thing unfold, anything surprise you, anything stand out? Or is this really the kind of game that you expected Virginia to put up against Tech? I mean, God, I hate watching games at Tech. That's what stood out. Like <laughs> that floor, that the lighting, everything. Oh, I can't stand it. But on a serious note, like the um, honestly, the way they were shooting in the first half and with all the energy, like it was loud in there. Um, this team early, I think I texted you guys, like early in the year, this team would have folded in that situation and they fought through it. Like, you know, they let it to half despite the bad shooting. You know, anytime you kind of do an ode to Tina Thomas, Tina Thompson and try to go over, um, it's usually not good for you. So, I mean, they were what, over seven in the first half and I think over six in the second, or it could be reversed from three. And look, one three would have made a big difference in that game, especially late because I mean, they were in it down to the what, 324 to go or something. Um, so, I mean, I like the fight. You know, it's, it's something I criticized the team for early in the early in the year. But um, you know, Tech made some good adjustments at halftime. And Virginia, look, they're if you if they're not making the three and you can shut down Gardner, I mean, what are your options? Um, you know, it's Kihei shooting pull ups. It's Franklin, you know, trying to get you know trying to get open. Um, so yeah, it just despite all that, it was they were in it. And, you know, a couple calls here or there that were questionable, but, you know, 1-3 and they could have won that game. It kind of reminded me of the uh, of the COVID team and, you know, the lucky breaks, you know, the missed shots here and there, the stops they got on during that streak. Like, it's such a freaky thing. You know, one miss changes everything. Like, you know, if Reese misses that shot at Duke, this is even more painful than it was, right? So, yeah, but they are – they, they, yeah, they are what they are. Um I mean, I guess if you're going to win one of those two, winning at Duke's a little better. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it would have been nice. To, the, the fact that it was so close late and they had a chance to win it and didn't is kind of frustrating because really there's not a whole lot left on the schedule that would have – I don't mean Ferber knows the answer. Like, I think that would have been the biggest win left. Miami would be close, I guess. But um, I mean, you, you can know, make other, a case that – You can make Duke, a case but, that, yeah, obviously, like the Duke game at home would be bigger when – a human being is looking at it, even though they're both cute one. Yeah. But yeah, the so, tech, the tech win opportunity was much more valuable than Miami is. Yeah. Um, Dave makes a good point. Uh, 
just in sort of in general, like this team is so compartmentalized, right? Tech did what you kind of thought they might pack it in a little bit, sort of force UVA to shoot, dare them to really um, take Gardner away as much as you can make, make his shots at least difficult. Um, I, I thought the stuff that they did offensively kind of slipping some screens and stuff. I, I don't know if that was necessarily as much a part of the tech offenses I've seen it this year as it was seeing Georgia tech do some of that, um, you know, using the the screen in the, in, in the high post and kind of that guy, you know, slipping down the lane, um, really attacking the hedge in a, in, in, in a way that Virginia struggled with against yeah. Georgia tech and certainly struggled with against Virginia tech. But I, I think ultimately it's like you, the, the, the comparison to the COVID team and to be specific, we mean the team that would have played in, in the aforementioned 2020 NCAA tournament that never happened. Um, you know, that group, there are some similarities here because you felt like if you could just change a little bit about that group, they wouldn't have been nearly, they wouldn't struggle nearly as, as, as consistently. And as, and this one's the same way. Like when you take away the inside piece and you dare somebody to shoot and, and Franklin's not hitting and Clark's not, not hitting like other than Beekman trying to get to the rim, they've really struggled to produce any real offense. And, I think that's ultimately the thing that that doomed the squad. And and look, they could win it out from here, slip into the NCAA's and make some noise. You know, the future is is not necessarily, um, you you know what I'm talking necessarily about. I'm talking about potential and sort of what seems to be um, the most likely scenario. And the most likely scenario, Ferber, is that this team is exactly who we've seen them be all season. And yeah, they're gonna have nights where matchups or some shots fall what have you um and maybe they they're able to to play really well like they did against duke but more often than not they're going to be the team we saw this weekend between saturday monday right um good enough to beat teams that aren't any good not quite good enough to beat teams that are a little more talented and regardless of what tech's record is that's a talented team especially in terms of matchups and the way they match up with uva mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I think honestly, like, I don't think is this a hot take? Like, Tech has more talent than UVA does on the roster, um, or maybe they're more built for like our current version of college basketball, where you have to shoot, um, you know. And so, I don't think like it's it's not a bad loss. Um, I think they're I think Tech's overvalued in the metrics, but um, they're certainly playing good basketball now. And you're right. I mean, going to Blacksburg is not easy, especially for this game. You know, they're going to be up for it. Um, especially after having lost the first one. But yeah, I thought, I mean, I said it in our text thread, like I felt like at halftime, um, UVA was on pretty good footing. I mean, they were up four, I think. Um, I thought that yeah. Mike Young made some pretty good halftime adjustments. I mean, nothing that was like unbelievable, you know, like or unforeseen. Uh, like the slips are good against UVA when they hedge so much because Kafaro specifically can't keep up with Aluma. Like he's just not going to track back quick enough. So if the pass is where it needs to be, it's a dunk. Um, and and Shedrick might have actually gotten beat on one of those too. So um, Aluma's is a tough cover for for UVA in the pack line. Like he's eaten them up the last three times they've played. So um, yeah, tough matchup. Obviously, when they're shooting the way that they did, and um, I really thought in the second half, Tech kind of locked down on the defensive end and um, just tried to like make sure there was no space and just you know dare them to stretch the floor with outside shots, and they just weren't able to do it. Um, you know, a bad night for Kihei Clark to be off like he was, um, you know, and then they didn't really get much help from any other shooters. And it just felt like also like UVA just looked worn down. Um, you know, they didn't really go deep down the bench. So I, it just looked like they were kind of out of gas in the second half. Um, 
as far as like what that means for this team, like uh, I think I've, I've been kind of going over this since, since Monday night. And I think at this point, based on what's left on their schedule and where they stand um, to get an at large bid, they probably either have to win out um, in the regular season or go three and one with a loss either Saturday or against Duke when taking care of business in the other two, but getting the other win, either beating Miami or Duke. Um, and then you probably need like two conference tournament wins at least to have a chance. Um, I mean, a lot of that depends on what other teams do on the bubble too, but like right now they're not getting a lot of help. Uh, Rutgers is, is right ahead of them on the bubble and they, they're going to win tonight against Illinois. It looks like which is a huge win for them. Um, one of the things that people weren't really talking about, like with the loss the other night, it's not just that they lost, it's that they let a competitor on the bubble go above them, <laughs> you know? So like that doesn't help. Um, and then also like you don't, losses still count. So like, even if you lose to a team like tech, which isn't a bad loss, you don't stay where you are. You move a little further away because it's a loss. Um, so they have ground to make up and, you know, I thought, yeah, maybe three and one they could get in, you know, if they as long as they don't fall on their face in the conference tournament. But really right now it looks like I think they either have to win out um, or go three and one with a decent showing in Brooklyn and no bad losses. So it's going to be uphill. Um, and we knew that. I mean, it's a double-edged sword. It's like you have the opportunities in front of you to improve your resume, but you're going to have tough games. So it's going to be – a slog and they're going to have to try to figure something out on Saturday. Um, Cause if they lose that game, then they're really in trouble. Yeah. I, real quick before we move on to, to other topics, I do want to talk about the season re-speakman is having. I, I, I have a lot of respect for people who, who <laughs> I don't want to say just know the game better than me. Cause that's, you know, <laughs> there's a laundry list of people who know the game better than me, but um you know, people who, who really track it and really pay attention to not just like, oh, you know, UVA likes to run this uh, this type of offense as opposed to like these are sub- the specific plays that they run, that kind of stuff. Um, Brian Gessinger, who um, is somebody I've followed his work for a while, um, works for ACC Sports and covers the Hornets and stuff as well. He, he's been on the Reese Beekman kick for the basically the entire season. And he... He tracked, uh, he charted out um, not just the game itself, but he specifically was talking about Reese and the the job he did on Couture. 43 touches for Couture tweets, three of which were backcourt or miscellaneous. 40 defended touches. Beekman was a primary defender on 34 of them, and he was one of two field goal attempts versus um, uh, basically the, the, the pick and rolls, right? So essentially the bottom line is that like <laughs> – he, he, for all intents and purposes, he shut down Hunter Couture, and to me, that that dude was on fire. I mean, legitimately, like a flamethrower attached to his arm coming into into this one. And for Beekman to do what he's done, I kind of feel like, and maybe this is just because I watch UVA cl- more closely than I do every other team. I feel like he's the ACC Defensive Player of the Year. Um, and I don't know if it's close. And I just want to get your your takes on that. Um, do we think Beekman either has a shot at, at defense player of the year? Is he the, the leader in the clubhouse? Like what's our, what's the vibe to, to you? Uh, Dave, we'll start with you. Mm-hmm. Beekman is defensive player of the year. Um, how are you feeling about it? I mean, I think he should be, um, I mean, I'm biased. I'll admit it. I watch a lot more Virginia than anyone else. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, yeah, I think he, I, I don't know of anyone better off the top of my head. I don't think he's going to get it, but I think, you know, you know people probably don't want to be lazy and just vote the best Virginia defender um, year after year, especially in a year that's kind of down for them. Uh, but people do like to be lazy. That's the but thing. They do like to be lazy, <laughs> yeah. but may, maybe not this year. But yeah, I mean, I think he's yeah. first team, no question. Um, I, I don't know who would beat him, though. Um, yeah. I'll, yeah, I'd have to, I'd to, have to, to, me to dig into it. Yeah. I'd have to look at it because there might be somebody we're forgetting that has like a ton of blocks or something. Because um, that's honestly like, like Shredder. Uh, <laughs> when it's not like a dominant UVA team where there's like an Isaiah Wilkins type dude to give it to. Um, I feel like people just give it to whoever has like the most steals or the most blocks. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where Reese would fit into that. I feel like on a per possession basis, he's probably up there in steals, Con- yeah. and which is crazy considering the defense UVA runs is not designed to create steals. Right. Um, so I'm going to the stat sheet for the ACC at the moment, but I think that's a good point is and what, what I think would be hilarious is if, if this is the year, right. That, that somebody from UVA wins it because there have definitely been years where you're like, oh, the best defender in the in the conference is certainly, you know, UVA guy, and the and there's been this like, you know, reaction to maybe not do that, even though teams would say, I mean, because for a little while there it was like, yeah, UVA's best player is going to be the uh, UVA's best defender is going to be the defensive player of the year. Um, right now, Reese is uh, he's second in steals. He's one behind Charlie Moore, fifty three, fifty four. Um. So, so it's not that. I mean, he's he's up there, obviously, in steals. God, the ACC's uh, the ACC's layout for this is really terrible. Um, he's also the the league leader in assist to turnover ratio, which I know doesn't really matter, but I just thought I would mention it. Um, let's see, Mark Williams right now leads the conference in blocks at seventy seven. Uh, Jesse Edwards from Syracuse is at is second, sixty seven, and Shedrick at fifty nine. Um, yeah, and Edwards is out for the season. Yeah. So I mean, maybe Mark Williams. If you're not going to give it to, yeah. Kid. See, that's what I'm saying. People will just look at it and be like, "Look at how many blocks he had," and they just give it. Yeah. To him. <laughs> and like last year, wasn't it like Jose Alvarado or somebody? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because he like led the league in steals. I could be way off on that, but I think it was somebody like that. And he might be deserving, but I feel like that's how people do it. Yeah, um, I agree. But what's yeah, especially like he can me, stay top two in steals. He's got a good chance. Yeah, that's true. Like, oh, yeah, and he's there. Well, especially, and he, yeah. especially like, especially like since he hit that shot against Duke, he has a little bit more clout. I think like people are like people that cover like Notre Dame might not really be paying attention to Reese Beekman too much, but they still get to vote. But now it's like they'll know who he is, and people will be hyping him as Defensive Player of the Year potential. So, I mean, I don't know anybody that's been better than him um, for sure. That's like, but I honestly like going. I'd have to go through the fifteen teams and you know figure it out. But, but again, me, it's not like you don't have all the facts on a on a question I literally just asked you. How dare you? Yeah, but also like like I said, like statistically, that defense isn't always going to show up because it depends on what kind of defense you run. Um, like you know, if you're if you're North Carolina or a team that like presses a lot, like you're probably going to have more turnovers forced. Um, but you also might be lazy, you know, on closeouts and give up a bunch of threes, but that's not going to show up in any stats. Yeah, be trailing um, they don't, for 17 at the half you know yeah they don't they don't attribute yeah they don't attribute like points allowed against you right so no. now, I mean, normally like when you think of defensive player of the year i think you think virginia florida state you know, who they got you know, florida state yeah. really doesn't have anyone that stands out i mean i have a hard like williams like i get it like he he blocks some shots but yeah i mean i think it's got to be beekman 
which means inevitably it will not be. Um, and I get it. Like <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be it's going to be Hunter Couture. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be Hunter yeah. Couture. I love it. I <laughs> It'll love be Storm it. Murphy for his work on Kia. Um, speaking of things I love, uh, coordinators that talk. You know, that's a like actual genuine like real media availabilities you know like where they actually answer your questions and and aren't looking to like make it you know comedy hour at the apollo um no no shade or anything at former coordinators who did those kinds of things but anyway uh virginia's or new current sec coordinators it's <laughs> very true um uva's new coordinators uh had a chance to meet with media members last week and i thought it was really interesting um to sort of watch what came out of it the things that um that that both uh both of them talked about it was i, I don't want to say i don't want to harken on the harpen on hark harken on this too much but it was very refreshing to hear guys you know like actually answering questions and you know not just kind of talking in platitudes dave what was, was there anything that significant to you to come out of those two media availabilities last week um i mean other than yeah you're what you said fresh air like i mean i really like kitchens um you know as he got into later in his press conference when he kind of got comfortable and relaxed. Like I really like his personality and Rosinski, like he seems like a likable guy. Um, you know, I would, I would like him to say, Hey, we're going to look at this. We're going to be, you know, four man front or three man front or some odd front, whatever it's going to be. But yeah, I mean, I like their personalities. I'm, I'm hopeful that they continue to have access. I'm a, I found myself like, I feel like Bronco. We had some access to coordinators early in Broncos tenure, and then it kind of disappeared, and then it got kind of weird. Um, so hopefully this stays open. But just going off the vibes, like from Tony Elliott and everyone else, I think you know we've seen players talking more. I mean, I think he's going to have a more open program. Which look, I mean, I think it's natural to to want that after. It kind of reminds me when Grow left and London came in. Like you know, we're super happy about the access all of a sudden, but. You know, all that stuff doesn't matter if you don't win. <laughs> That's very true. I mean, it's true. Like, you know, if, if these guys fail, you're going to want a very disciplined, regimented team. So that's just the way it goes in yeah. fandom. What do you think, Ferber? Yeah, I agree. Um, I really enjoyed the Kitchings anecdote about how him and Tony Elliott had the same phone or phone number or whatever it was. Um, that, like, and then they had to be like, yo, somebody's trying to call you. Like, call him back. <laughs> Um, yeah, but cool. yeah, that was good. Um, yeah, I thought they were both kind of like feeling their way through it. I mean, if you think about it, I'm sure they've both done media availability, but right. as Dave will, as Dave will tell you, air force has like no video of anything anywhere. Um, so like, I don't know how much Rudd's was like out in front of the media and what that was like. And then Kitchings, you know, as a position coach probably didn't have to do as much of that stuff though. There is some stuff out there if you want to go watch it. Um, so I think, you know, it, they were kind of easing their way in. I thought Rosinski was kind of being a little cagey, not like personality yeah, wise, yeah. but I felt like he was like, I don't really want to talk about schemes. Um, uh, and that's cool. Like I, I get it. Um, you know, and I think for them, they're probably still formulating a lot of that stuff too. Um, you know, they might, they might have an idea of what they want to do and then they might get out there and spring ball and be like, this isn't going to work. Yeah. Um, His answer on four man or three man front was pretty interesting. He basically kind of said, he basically answered it he, honestly without, I think saying, Hey, we haven't decided yet or we're not sure. Right. He said, I think the first part we're going to have to do is, is we're going to have to do a great job of evaluating the current talent in the program. Uh, it's a neat opportunity, not only for us coaches, but I know for the players to, to have a clean slate. Um, but he said that essentially, you know, 
they have to figure out their personnel. And then beyond that, they've got to make sure that the scheme that they put out there it puts the guys in a good spot. So what it read like to me was, hey, we're still in the process of putting that together. And I like that flexibility. I think one of the things that um, you know we all lauded Bronco for was this idea that like he could come up with interesting stuff to do. Um, but I think sometimes he was a little bit too connected to you know specific like whether it was this guy has to be this size to play this position or any of that stuff. And then um, when they got away from it this year, it was a disaster. And then it was a yeah exactly. So the one time you went away from it was with the year when you didn't have the horses. Um, but it, you know, I thought his, his, uh, his answer about, you know, tweaking the scheme to face different offenses. I, I think that's the trick, right? It's that in this day and age, you can't be, you, you can't, I don't know if you can be the traditional sort of like, yeah. you know, this is our base. You've got to be able to, to not only be able to play, you know, significant amount of snaps and nickel, right. But you've also still got to be able to stop the run because teams will get you, bend you over that barrel and then just throw you over the side. You know what I'm saying? Like they will, they will continue to, to, to kick you in the, in the tail over and over again, if you're not able to, to stop it. And I think that's the biggest challenge UV has in terms of the roster right now is getting to a place where, you know, clearly on the defensive side of the ball, this staff thinks they have more talent and defensive back than, than we've seen in terms of production on the field. Full stop, right? And at the same time, the 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 defensive front has to cons- make some considerable strides, and the entire defense has to tackle better. I mean, that tackling performance last year was absolutely atrocious. I mean, there's just and, no and they, you there. know, I forget who asked, but somebody asked, like, what have you seen from the defense that needs improvement the most since you've been watching film? And he was, he didn't come right out and say it. You know, he he gave kind of a political answer, and then he basically was like, we need to tackle well. Yeah. It would help if you tackled people. And that was like, that was like the most specific thing that he said. And I actually was very encouraged to hear that because like, that's one of the things that really stood out to me. Um, I think in the past, you know, there were definitely like a lot of blown coverages and things that led to big plays that they were allowing this year. It felt more like stuff underneath was getting behind people because they were just missed. I mean, you think about that North Carolina game, a lot of those issues in the run were just bad tackling, Um, you know, just being in the wrong spot or just not bringing a guy to the ground and, you know, there were probably a lot of like second and eights that became first downs because the guy got four yards and then ran through a tackle and got four more. Um, so I was glad to hear him say that. And that's something that earlier on in Broncos tenure, I felt like they were tackling really well. Um, they were really sound with that. And I think maybe COVID and different things had an impact on how they practiced. Um, or maybe it was just like the athleticism of the guys that they had changed or whatever, but they just weren't getting it done in that way. Um and I mean, you can use COVID as an excuse, I guess, but other teams tackle fine. So, um, not all, yeah. but yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, more kind of piggybacking off that. Like, I mean, not to bring back the Bronco era again, but it kind of hit me the other day. Um, like, you know, trying to figure out what happened with the defense because, you know, look, they switched to a three-three-five. It's not like they threw out, you know, it's not like they reinvented the will. Um, Mm-hmm. And you know they they shouldn't have dropped off just from from that alone. But yeah, it, you know missed tackles were were huge, and it just got me thinking back to last year. You know, um, year before last, you know Bronco basically admitted he wasn't a coach; he was just like a COVID manager. So that meant like, so someone else is running the defense full time. So to me, like I, I just wonder if maybe things change. You know, they didn't they didn't emphasize certain things in practice like they normally would have obviously because of COVID. And then maybe that habit just kind of keeps on going. 
um, it's hard to get something you don't practice. Like, I mean, I've heard reports that uh, defensive backs didn't practice one-on-one against wide receivers. They only practice against wide receivers and seven-on-seven and team drills. And honestly, it makes sense if you think about the way they played the last two years. So, um, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think there's talent on the roster defensively. I mean, I don't – they're not Georgia, right? But I also see why they didn't rush out. When you start looking at the roster and just looking how many defensive backs are on, are on it under, in scholarship, like it doesn't make a lot of sense to go out and try to sign three or four defensive backs. Um, it would be just too many guys on the roster. So they've got spring ball to kind of flush out who they've got back there. Um, and scheme stuff. So, yeah, I'm excited. I, I really liked him. Justin made the joke about being hard to find stuff on Rodzinski. Like, honestly, I think the last video, we only video I could find of him, he had long hair. And now mm-hmm. he's like, you know, buzz cut. So, I mean, not that it takes years to buzz cut, but it's just kind of yeah. funny. It's like a completely different dude. Um, on the other side of the ball, I thought, you know, the ba- the, the, the it's really interesting to me, right? Is there is this, and you guys, you guys chime in here if I, you think I'm I'm nuts. So it seems like fans are are probably as excited about Brennan coming back as anything, right? Tony Elliott, um, or two T's as we like to call him, um, he he's injected a lot of enthusiasm and stuff. But but Brennan coming back is is a significant sort of um, feather in the cap, so to speak, right? And then you look at all the offensive weapons that they've got coming back at receiver. There's certainly a lot of excitement about the passing game. And yet everything you hear, and, and I think admittedly un, and understandably, like, it makes total sense to me. Like, it's all about balance, right? Like, hey, we're going to be balanced. We're going to have to run the ball. We're going to be balanced. We're going to be balanced. We're going to be balanced. Like, they have, they have been very consistent about talking about the fact that, like, you can't ask the dude's arm to do as much as the dude's arm did last year. And yet... There, I don't know if folks are really ready for what that necessarily looks like. And he, and, and again, I thought Kitchens did a good job of, you know, hitting that straight on. Like, look, you, you got to have balance. You can't, if you can't do both, you can't do either. Um, no matter how many yards you put up. Um, and I don't, I, I really don't know if folks are ready for the emphasis that Virginia is going to have on running the ball. Not, and I'm not saying that like that it will be, you know, consistent across the game, regardless of results i'm just saying that like it's going to be a focal point for them you know what i mean and i don't know if folks are really ready for that because when's the last time virginia had an offense to try to run the ball you know jordellis like that's basically the last time you've seen them really commit to a running back and actually try to run the football and even then it was still sparing you know it was still like you know a lot of yeah they're still putting so much on bryce yeah for sure um what stood out to you ferber as you you went through dez's time with the media yeah, I thought what you just brought up actually is is a good place to kind of start. Um, like, I mean, I this is sort of like a new football thought or, you know, like recent um, that the idea of balance is sort of antiquated. Um, and I kind of am with that. I understand how people get to that conclusion. But I think what Kitchings was saying, and I agree with him, is it's not necessarily balance for the sake of balance, which is unnecessary, right? Like we've seen offenses that just throw the ball succeed we've seen offenses that just run the ball succeed um but you have to be able to run the ball when you need to run the ball um when it's third and two like you don't need to run the ball 50 percent of your plays but if you if you're running the ball 25 percent of your plays but you really need them to be successful then they need to be successful um so i mean they need to emphasize running even if they don't like this year i still think they'll have a pass heavy offense it won't be probably as pass heavy as what we saw last year 
Um, but I think that that's just playing to the strength of your team, um, especially since they have such good wide receivers. But if they emphasize the running game more, then they should be able to run the ball when they need to. Um, it, I just don't know if they're going to be running the ball 50% of their plays. Um, but I think they have some talent in the running back room that just hasn't really been given a full chance. Um, so we're going to see like what happens there, but yeah, it was interesting to hear like how they're going to install everything and, um, getting to know the players on the offensive side of the ball, obviously a lot of new faces up front on the offensive line. So that'll be sort of a work in progress, but, um, I think a lot of these, and, and this is like, especially with what Tony Elliott ran at Clemson, I don't think these guys are going to be like, it's like, all right, forget everything you learned and, and start all over. <laughs> like it's more, a lot of, it's going to be just like terminology. They're going to run a lot of the same routes. They're going to line up a lot of the same ways. Um, they're The guys will probably be confused when they're not having to sub in and out of the game every play. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, seriously. They're going to be like, well, so you want me to keep the best three receivers on the field on third and what six? Is, like, what is this magic? Weird. What is this? What yeah. is this voodoo? <laughs> yeah. So like, that'll be probably a change, but I think a lot of it's like the terminology and things like that. And then how you want to get your calls made and all that sort of stuff, personnel packages. Um, but yeah, I think that'll be an interesting process. And um, it sounds like they kind of have a lot of work to do over the next few weeks as they get ready for spring ball, which I think starts in like a month. Yeah. Pretty soon. Yeah. One thing I really yeah. loved, hold on Dave, real quick. Cause yeah. I, want, I want to lead this into you. So one thing I loved was when he was talking about retaining biscuit and Touche. And he basically said, like, look, in these situations, if you don't know a guy, one of the things you're always co- cognizant of is, like, getting cross-references, cross, cross references, right? And everybody who, you know, he knew in South Carolina really spoke highly of Biscuit. This is the guy you want. But he had talked to Bobo, who had, obviously, his son Drew was a recruit that Touje had recruited. And he's like, I sat in some of those Zooms. He's really good. Like, he's really sharp. And that's that was really fascinating to me to sort of to sort of get a glimpse of how this these things happen. And I think so often those of us on the outside, we think like, oh, connections on recruiting or excuse me, connections on coaching staffs, right? Oh, this guy worked with so-and-so. And I'm not saying that that's not a thing, but it just really does go to show that there are connections everywhere. And that's one I had not thought of is that 2J had recruited a guy, a kid who whose dad was a, was, was, a, was a coach. And, and certainly people would talk to him about 2J and his energy and stuff. And I thought that was really fascinating. Dave, what else did you take away? Um, from from Dez's time with the media last week. First of all, Ferber and I both knew that you know Bobo had talked to <laughs> Kitching soon. Yeah, no, like some of these, it's like five degrees of Kevin Bacon. Yeah, but you do, things, you, but do yeah, you can if you can do a little bit of digging. And obviously, normally we wouldn't be, but when they're looking for assistant coaches, it's like you kind of start looking. You know, like the t- Taylor Lamb, for example. Like that's not the guy that would ever pop up like a, a right away. You know, yeah, he, played it at, does, like, oh, he played yeah. at App State. He, he's coaching at Gardner Webb. He was coaching in South Carolina. There's a connection to Kitchens there, obviously. But it's like, oh, well, his dad was Tony Elliott's coach at Furman, like when he was an assistant there. And it's like, oh, okay, now like you put it together. And there's a lot of like little ones like that. Yeah, it's um, kind of 2J is sort of an outlier, though, which makes it more interesting because he's like, he was like on the West Coast. Um, right. right. So he probably like that connection is interesting because like he's probably not as connected as all the other guys. Yeah, I mean, I forget what the original question you led into me was, but yeah, the uh, I was just gonna say on Kitchen, like the one thing, I mean, it, I don't know where this concerning is. Concerning is definitely too strong of a word. I think it's surprising that Elliot, who's kind of known for, you know, what he's done. Like, I, mean, I know people want to say he's a co-offensive coordinator. He's been calling the plays at Clemson for many, many years and many, many rings. Um, 
So it's a little surprising to see a first-time head coach seemingly comfortable letting Kitchings kind of design an offense he's comfortable with. Um, I mean, I think that that I mean, concerning, like I said, is not the word I'm looking for. Just you know, it's a it's a little weird. Interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you think about Bronco when he took this job. Like, I mean, he was defensive coordinator, and he said basically when he wasn't in the room, how it was. Um, so. Like, man, I guess that says a lot about Elliot and his trust in Kitchings. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see what the offense looks like. Um, obviously, I can't really add much to what you guys said other than, you know, Brennan threw 500 passes this year. Like, I mean, I think you can still have a pass-heavy offense that doesn't have to be 500 passes in 11 games. Um, you know, twice as many as he threw in nine games last year. So, yeah, you can still run the ball. make them, And you've got a younger offensive line. you gotta, you got to show some balance for their sake. And I, I mean, I like we've heard Covington talk about it. We've heard other people talk about it. Not practicing the run in practice makes your team soft on defense. And I, I believe every coach I've heard has mentioned that. So, um, look, you, you got to run the ball. So, you know, I'm really excited. I can't wait for spring ball to start. It's going to be weird because, like, we got a lot of offensive line coming, coming in the fall, but there's not a whole lot there right now. So, it'll be interesting to see how they kind of handle it. They might just need to put some cones up. Or <laughs> yeah, something. roll around, do some drills. No, I think um, we'll see a lot of seven on seven stuff in the spring yeah. game, probably. Yeah. Um, well, that kind of brings me to the other piece as we wrap up here. Um, so, so two teases. Do we? Can we make that happen? Can we make that a thing? Because I really like it. It's really easy to say. Um, Elliot is uh, obviously doing. Uh, I don't want to say it a, like a circuit because I don't know if you can call it that. But in the old days, and maybe something they'll go back to down the road, you know, coach would would hit you know several different um, functions, alumni functions around the state, um, like the so, Iowa caucuses, a little bit, yeah, little bit. <laughs> make the rounds, you know, go to make the, the dinners, rounds, you know, you know, eat some fried, you know, randomness, um, but stand awkwardly in the corner, <laughs> right? Uh, go to go to somebody's living room for no apparent reason yeah. and talk to twenty people. Um, but anyway, so this year, obviously doing things a little differently and it seems like, you know, season ticket holders and, and donors and stuff are getting a chance to, to be on, uh, zooms w- with Tony and, and kind of hear him talk about things. And while Dave had to change his, uh, his time, his slot for his, um, you know, his, his actual, uh, one-on-one with Tony, <laughs> his, <laughs> Two his, his, uh, his personal conversation with the head ball coach, um, you know, one thing though that has happened is that some of these things are starting to kind of leak out a little bit, and some of the things that we've heard, uh, I, I just thought we might want to talk about a little bit because it's not like the head coach isn't telling humans, right? It's not like we're yeah. we're unearthing deep dark secrets here. Um, but Dave, what have, what what have you heard from from your alumni friends? Yeah, I mean, um, it's exciting. I mean, they all like Tony. Um, I'm looking for mine. I think mine is Tuesday. I had to reschedule from last week. Um, I don't know if he's coming to my house. I'm going to his whole thing. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm excited to, to hear from him, but they say he's very engaging. Um, I know on, from a like strategy standpoint, I've, I've heard from a couple of people that they're going to play a lot of zone on the back end. I think I, can, I can't remember if Fred mentioned, mentioned that or not. Um, yeah, they're going to start out playing a lot of zone. Um, as far as offense, Tony kind of alluded to a lot more stuff under center, which kind of makes sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, I guess the fun stuff, you know, the V Sabres on both sides of the helmet, he confirmed. Um, 
I think one person the way they put it to me was he said it, I'm I'm looking forward to hearing a little more explanation, but he wants to clean up the uniforms and have a more traditional look. You know, I think his comment was Alabama doesn't have multiple uniforms, you know. Um, so I know that would upset some of the alternate people, but then it got me thinking Clemson does have that purple alternate. So maybe there's a special one. Um, but yeah, I, look, I, I mean, I think those are the big things. I, what's the other one? Um, bringing back the Wahoo walk, um, which is a little weird to me. I don't know how you guys would feel about that one. Cause the Wahoo walk was big during, you know, late grow years. But also, like, I remember a couple of big ones because you've, you've got to kind of leave where I tailgate early to get there, obviously, for that. Um, and they kind of walked right through the donor. Was that the West parking lot on that side um, of your ASC? So when Grow, when Grow did it for a while, I remember they would walk down by, like, the aquatic and fitness yeah. center. Yeah, around, like down back. <laughs> yeah, and then, and then, like, they did it in London's years, but they just kind of walked through the parking lot and then – they, we would see them in the press box, like walking down the bleachers to get downstairs. Cause as Brad knows, there's no easy way to get down there. Um, no, I, cause they don't, yeah. they don't let you use the elevators. <laughs> I think in London's years, like they, I mean, in gross years, they walked around behind and went down the outside steps. Yeah. I think um, they did. Yeah. Which was really awkward, but yeah, I was there. It's kind a of a long times. walk. <laughs> yeah. For like big crowds, you know, look, we know those parking lots don't always fill up early. Um, a lot of times, if you've ever been in there, you'll be tailgating 45 minutes for a game and people blowing horns trying to get to their spots. Um, look, there's a there's a big big money tailgate spot. So the wall who walks always been if, – if it's a big crowd, it's great. But also, like, I remember standing there. I can't remember who we were playing. Um, but it was an early kickoff one day, and um, Walt and I were there. And uh, we were standing, like, watching them team walk by because we weren't tailgating much that day. This has been a while. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> like, like Chris Long, Chris Long, I think it was had to be 2007 or 2006 even. But like, you know, Chris Long's on the team. And like, there's Howie. Like, there's like me, Walt, Howie Long, and like no one else for 20 yards. It's very awkward. Um, but yeah, I mean, I get it. Like, right now they're kind of, because of COVID, the team's kind of been dropped off behind the stadium. And even their family has a hard time seeing them. So, Look, I get it. I mean, he's trying to build some new tradition to get the fans involved. So it's kind of up to up to all of us to um, – or all of you, because Lord knows I've been doing it for years to kind of buy in. But I will give a more thorough report once um, <laughs> our once special, we have our uh, one-on-one. Yeah. <laughs> our special alumni correspondent. Yeah. For, but, but like with the, with, the walk, with the walk thing, like, you know, that on its, on its own is a good idea. Like – you know, if you just think about oh, yeah, that yeah. inherently as its own thing, it's like, yeah, of course, it's a good idea. But then I know, but I understand your thing too, which is like, if nobody's going to go to it, then what are you doing it for? Um, yeah, I mean, but I think you, you have to you have better. to find <laughs> you have to find a way to make it better. Yeah. Um, it's not going to be like the Vol Walk in Knoxville, no. um, but like you can do something where it's like you encourage people to be there for that. Um, whatever I would encourage is. them to just start stop near our tailgate spot, walk through our parking lot because we're there early. <laughs> Get back yeah. on the bus and go to the stadium. There you go. We'll get them fired up. I feel like Ferber on some level, some of these things that Dave's talking about are just I don't want to call it load hanging fruit, but certainly feels like you could do a lot of uh, a lot of things, a lot of small things to really you know earn some real capital, right? Yeah, like, you know, like when a politician takes office, and this is not a political thing, but like. You know, I mentioned Iowa caucuses already. I've dug myself deep enough hole. Um, 
but like you know the first day in office they like sort of undo like a bunch of things or like they do a bunch yeah of they do a bunch of orders yeah, or yeah, right it's right. like these are all my day one initiatives a lot of it's just obvious stuff that you're gonna do like you know that's what like putting the v savers on both sides of the helmet is that right it's like okay everybody's gonna like it no reason not to do it done um, and they're also going to get rid of the Jersey number thing. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. That's one I forgot. Um, I don't really, that's, that's the, if the players wanted to keep that, then they could keep it, you know, um, if they don't want to keep it, then get rid of it. Um, but yeah, they also, I mean, they also get their gear when they get here. <laughs> so they don't yeah, have to Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that kind of savings. stuff, I, that kind of stuff, like, yeah, I understand like the concept of it, but it's I, my, my biggest issue with the Jersey selection thing was I felt like how do I say this without it sounding really bad? I felt like it, it was sort of a, sh- I felt like it was sort of a sham because it's like, how does Brendan Armstrong have to earn his number? Like, yeah, has yeah, he yes. not earned it over the three years? And also can we he- all know damn well, he's going to get five. Yes. So yes. it's like, can it's we, not can- like he, it's not like if he half asses it through camp, he's not going to get his jersey. <laughs> or if he even, if he were to get hurt, you know, and he didn't yeah. play, but here's the thing. Okay. A lot of these measures, and and if we want to, and I do think we'll have like a post Bronco sort of thing in the off season, you know, yeah, we things were happening. But I, I think a lot of these things made sense when it was like year one, year two. But in year six, it didn't make any sense. Like a dude who's been here for years, who has, I mean, if he hadn't gotten hurt, you know, he would have. He would have led the. He would have broken the the ACC single season record for passing yardage, right? That dude doesn't need to earn his number. Now, granted, he does a lot on the 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 uh, away from the field that earns it among his teammates. And the reason that nobody else would ever touch his number is because nobody would do that, right? Right. But you're right. It is a sham. The idea, right, the idea that Gwen Blanning wasn't going to walk on and be the starter from day one, he didn't have to earn that. He was the best player. And sometimes you earn it because you're just good, right? And, like, that's that, this is sports, right? At the end of the day, like, yeah, Malachi Poindexter plays some for Tony Bennett because he doesn't have another guard that he trusts on defense, okay? But he's not playing um, strictly because he just goes out there and earns it. He also is doing it because other dudes aren't doing it good enough, right? Yeah, it's like, not like, man, he's just trying so hard we have to play him. We have like, to that's play him because he's trying so hard. <laughs> and Bronco's whole thing about, you know, max effort. And also, I'm not saying that that's wrong or anything like that. I'm just saying that, like, well, you have to be realistic, which is, like, the best players play in part because they're the best players. Now, yes, they also have to do all these other things that require them to to not only be just good, they also have to do these other things because if not, there will be fractions, you know, you know, within the um, you know, within the locker, the locker room. room. Yeah. But like, yeah. no, Brendan Armstrong doesn't have to earn his number and he shouldn't, you know? And you shouldn't make him go through some sham ceremony where he has to, you know, where where we have to pretend like he's not going to get his number or like you're going to pretend like what Nick Jackson is not going to get his number. Right. Or you're going to pretend like what Billy Kemp's not going to get his number. Now, if he wanted to change numbers and all that stuff. okay, fine. But I I do think that there was something fun about it in the sense that like you were never really sure. Like when the numbers came out that told you that like for, from, from the outside looking, you did, in, you, you felt like you kind of learned something. Yes. About you the, learned something about the team. About exactly. You, you learned about how they felt about each other. And you also got a sense of who was doing what and who wasn't right. Yeah. That was a very good snapshot of like, at this point, these are the dudes who were actually like playing. These are the guys who are seen among the, 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 the teammates and stuff as like guys who were in like leadership positions and also were like playing on the field. You know, like if you and if you had a younger guy that you were excited to see and he didn't get a number, you're like, oh, like this isn't. I also just 
I also just thought it was funny when like, and this didn't happen a lot, but it did happen a few times where like a younger guy or an older guy uh, doesn't have a number yet, but then they play in a game. Oh yeah. Yeah. Like Maybe the Dylan Thompson situation or like Wayne Talapapa that yeah, was his first yeah. year. Like they, and like, uh, I think Sam Brady, maybe um like there were a few others where it was like guys bunch were of playing, kickers but, yeah yeah and so it's like okay well they they you have to earn a number but you can just play without doing so like you know like how does that work um it's like it's like well you can't play until you have a number so you have to earn the number to be able to play unless we really need you and then we just will bypass that process <laughs> like, um, yeah, like i think we're a little but, if the, but again if the player if the players are like hey we're all in on this then keep it like then it's fine but obviously like i don't think that's the case because they're getting rid of it yeah i mean i think brad said it but you know at some point like look i love the number thing um for many years because i think we know where this program was when he got here and Mm -hmm. it was a it was a tool it's something different you know yeah yeah and it didn't cost them the way that people thought it would no and i don't know maybe the players didn't want to change it maybe they loved it um I got a sense that some of the older guys thought it was kind of BS. They had to earn their numbers back. Um, mm-hmm. Well, so like the, I know that Tony Elliott said that he was going to talk to Brennan about it. Yeah. Or like they had talked about it. So I don't know. Yeah. I mean, like, a, like I mean, I think it's something you could have easily said, Hey, we're just making the first year, you know, yeah. incoming guys will earn their number. But look, I, mean, I can't remember if we texted or I can't think it was you texted me, Justin. And maybe we mentioned on the podcast, but you know, you said something about how Bronco was all like no drama, no less you know less drama more work and then elliot's like yeah hey, we're not having the number draft too much drama yeah <laughs> so. yeah numbers numbers are actually real. like in the big scheme of things one of the benefits of bronco's system was that like well if, if you were a recruit and you were like well can i get my number like well you got to come and earn it because everybody does that right it was a nice you know clean cut right like this was just the way it was and you had to do this and thing a- that everybody else has to do and the thing is, like, you can look at it, and we've had these conversations before, and I think there's some truth to, like, how do you get recruits when you won't even, like, you won't promise them any playing time or anything. You tell them they have to earn everything. But I think in, if you pitch it correctly, then it's a pitch. It's not a down thing. It's not like a negative. Um, you pitch it as, like, you get to play as much as you earn. So if you're good enough, you will earn it. Like, um you know, if you don't want to work, then you probably shouldn't play college football because there's a lot of work involved. Um, and you're probably not going to go to UVA <laughs> if that's the case. Um, but yeah, I think like, especially like, I don't, maybe it's not the end of the world, but like, I don't totally understand the philosophy of it, but I think like stuff like that, um, that's that again, I, I leave those things up to the players. And also like, I don't think it's a huge deal, but Dave, I know you brought this up. Like, with NIL and stuff, I think it probably helps the players a little bit market themselves if they have, like, a number that doesn't change all the time. Yeah, that's um, probably helpful. Yeah. So, I mean, like, you know, like, for example, like, if Keaton Thompson wants to do something where, like, it, but they don't let him wear his UVA uniform in that thing, like, he can wear a shirt that says 99 on it. Everybody's going to know who it is um, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting. I think there'll be a lot of, like, little changes like that. And, um Bronco, I feel like he made a point of making a lot of changes, like a lot of big changes um, when he came in, like cultural changes, which made sense. But I think this will be sort of like some of that stuff will stay. Some of it will kind of like recede, you know, and so on. Um, I'm curious to get one thing that we haven't heard about. What's the one thing you want, Dave? One thing that you want 
uh, two T's to to do for the program. I'm, I'm gonna keep trying to make <laughs> it work. We're, we're just gonna keep doing it. Two T's. Uh, what do you What do you want? What What one two thing L's aside two. from aside from like a 20 game winning streak over Virginia Tech? What What do you want to see? What little What little like I don't know uniform or program esque change would you like? It's tough, man. You should have, should have text me this one in advance. Um, I don't know if there's any big ones to be honest with you. Um, like I. I'd like to. He's, he can't fix the damn speakers in Scott Stadium. That'd be helpful. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the stuff I would think <laughs> um, of is out of his control, right? But, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of game day stuff. He, he can't change the tailgating situation, but like, um, I mean, I think just having, just be like him being more engaged in the community, like you know, that's a big deal to me. Um, you know, not that Bronco didn't try that, but it just wasn't comfortable. Like he just wasn't comfortable in that, and I mean, I think he's doing a lot of it, so. We'll see. He might mention something. I'll be like, "Oh yeah, that's what I wanted," and then I'll report back. But yeah, I got I got nothing in particular. I think for me and for Rob, I'll, I'll go before you do, so you can give a chance to think about it. Um, mm-hmm. um, but I think for me, the one thing I would like to see is it's not. This is going to come across wrong, and I I apologize in advance. <sighs> See, the thing is, you can tell that we sort of have like some respect for the previous staff because otherwise we would just be like saying all letting, shit yeah, without, just fly. We would just be saying it and not saying like, I don't want to sound true. like an asshole, but it's <laughs> very true. Here's my thing. There were so many gimmicks, right? So many gimmicks, right? There was this flag and there was that flag and then there was the rock and then there was the sayings and then, then there was this and that. And like they had, you know, there was all this stuff, right? And I'm not opposed to like having four hundred percent. Yeah, like right, right. And I'm not opposed to anything. I'm I really not. I don't think gimmicks are bad. Anybody who's read my work understands. Like I I dig a good gimmick. Like give me give me something I can count the number of days between, and I'm all yeah, about. You're it, calling right? a coach two T's already. I, I exactly. I like I like shtick. Okay, I get that. It's when you it's when you compare like when they would run out of the tunnel, like it was like Bronco and then two dudes carrying a flag. Right. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with carrying flags, but none of them, you know what I'm saying? Like there was like, there was this, I don't know. It it was just like, it it, it was almost like the thing was like, uh, like a magnet and it just picked up more stuff as it went along. And I guess (laughs) if this sounds ridiculous, but like one of the things I hope they do is they just, they just are a football program. Right. Not to say that they shouldn't have the things, you know, I know he has his, his acronyms and pillars and all this stuff. And I'm not saying that anything, those things are wrong. I'm just saying like on some level, like, focusing on the football part like Bronco talks so much about organization and so much about like process and you know um succession and all this stuff and and I just I don't know man I kind of like having a football coach who like talks about football all the time who like wants to talk about football like I I don't know there's something kind of cool about that and so like when he's like yeah there's just too much drama this number thing I was like okay that's cool like, not that the number thing was bad, because I thought, like I said, I think it, you could show you some information about the team, and certainly was was eye-opening when the same guy got to pick the same, you know, the first three years in a row, or you had defensive linemen who got to pick, and they got single-digit numbers, and they were really excited. Like, that's cool. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, like, it's kind of nice to have a football coach who just is, like, really all about football, who, like, just genuinely enjoys coaching and talking about football. And that... I think that energy is something that folks are going to respond to in today's point, you know, about engaging the community. Like the man likes, you know, he's a good dude who likes to talk and he, about football. Like when he talks about football, you can see he's excited about it. Bronco kind of like felt like a CEO who like who knew some stuff about the iPhone, but wasn't necessarily as like into the iPhone. Right. Like 
I, I want Steve Jobs. I don't want Tim Cook. Is what I'm saying. Ferber, what's your answer on this? What's what's something you're you're hoping to see? Um, I think Dave's point about like engaging with the community is sort of where I'm going with this too. Like, but mine's a little different. I want to see them open things up a little bit more to the community in terms of like visibility and access and and not just like I like for example, I think like opening up practices would be cool. Um, you know, not all of them necessarily, but like find a way to do it. Do a uh, scrimmage at Scott Stadium in the fall with people there. You know, um, these spaces like 2J, I think, has done a couple of them with his daughter, like those types of things. You could do that. That's free publicity, free interactions with the people that care about your program the most. I don't and know. If those... Incredible. You should be listening to them. Right. And, and, and like, I don't know if those interactions are going to get you a bunch of new fans, but they will keep the people that are the most interested, interested. Um, and I think that's important, too. Um, and then the word can spread from there. But, yeah, like opening up some practices, getting some more like outward facing things like like Twitter spaces or like maybe like virtual happy hours where you can just kind of like talk about. And obviously you're not going to do about this stuff with during the season, but like um, like these little calls they're doing with like BAF people. That's a good start. Um, I think they just need to be more open about and inclusive about that sort of stuff, because that's how you kind of get new fans. Um, I also think that they need to do more like um, they need to be more open in their media, like in terms of like, not like, uh, you know, like press conference media, but like videos and like social interactions and things like they're a little, I feel like they're kind of behind on that. And it's not because they don't have talent in like the video department. Um, They just need to kind of like get with the times on that stuff. So I think, I think like more, you know, we've seen like the videos that like Clemson puts out and stuff like that sort of stuff is cool because you get a better access to the program, better idea of what's going on, who the players are, all that kind of stuff. Um, maybe could build some interest. Maybe, maybe something you do goes viral or something, who knows? Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that there's some opportunity for growth in those areas. Um, and I also like, I, I want one thing I want him to keep is Tuesday's heroes or Thursday's here. He can yeah, make a, he, he can make it, he can make it Tuesday if he wants. Um, but <laughs> whatever, but works. it was, but it was a cool thing. And I think that that was, that's something that would be pretty easy to keep. Yeah. I feel like that's something, you know, I, I talked a minute ago about gimmicks. That's not a gimmick to me. Like what I loved most about that's that a real was, impact. Like, exactly. Yeah. What I love most about that dude was, and, and I hope, like I said, I hope they keep it like the, the players, like their excitement level over bringing these folks in and, you know, pe- you know, kids usually, but you know, sometimes folks who are old, old or whatever, like bringing these heroes in and like their excitement about it. And like, they were just completely like into it in a way that like just does so much for your heart. I mean, I mean, again, like, I, I love the, you know, the idea that like, you know, Tony's about, you know, football coaching sounds like a football coach and everything. But, like that's one of those things that like you can do and, and it's bigger than football. And so I, when I talk about gimmicks, that is definitely not what I mean. Like, I, I just mean all the things like around the game and, you know, oh, you know, like I, like the whole like holding up four fingers of the fourth quarter thing. Like, OK, come on. Like the maybe fourth that's a, side, you know, the exact the fourth yeah. side. Keep, like, keep, they, keep, they swag in peace. keep swag surfing gear to the fourth side. Yeah, guess right. Like, yeah. Keep, keep the swag surf. I did enjoy <laughs> that. But the whole fourth side thing, like I'm not saying that there was anything wrong with that per se. Right. Like, yeah, you should want your kids to be pumped up. But you know what? If you're down 30, okay, like they can just stand there because you look a little bit ridiculous hopping around when you're down 30. 
And that's, right? and I mean, I don't even mind the actual idea of having a bench fired up, but like marketing it that way is weird. It's marketing like you have that to explain really it weird. to people. And it's like a lot of people don't even know what it means. Like, yeah, exactly. You shouldn't, exactly. But like Thursday's Heroes is the thing that should absolutely stay. I completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. All right. Anything else for the good of the order before we wrap up this week? Because I feel like that's a pretty good place to put a pen in it. Yeah. I All think right. we, I think we got it. I think, we, I think we covered some good topics. Thanks, Damon. <laughs> <laughs> if you're somebody who found the podcast through the website, thank you very much for giving us a listen. If you don't mind, look us up on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever it is that you get your shows. And if you're so inclined to give us a rating and review, we appreciate that. Now, if you're somebody who has found the pod but has not given us a look at the website yet, check us out, CavsCorner.com. Right now, let's see, Damon's got a bunch of baseball stuff, obviously, with uh, with the, the the team opening things up uh, here this weekend. Um, so some stuff on on them roster breakdown on offense and defense and obviously recaps with the two coordinators so plenty to check out especially as um, spring ball draws closer and you know we got at least some sort of postseason basketball we're not sure what it's going to look like just yet um, but we'll get there uh, eventually I want to say thank you to uh, myperfectfranchise.net for their support of the show and of the website. You can visit myperfectfranchise.net for more information on how you can find freedom in your next venture and discover the perfect franchise for you. Uh, and I want to thank everybody out there for continuing to support the show. I want to thank Dave and Ferber for being graciously with time as always. I appreciate all that they do. So for David Spence, Justin Ferber, I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. See you soon.